St. Petersburg, 1917. For over 300 years, the Romanov dynasty presided over Russia as it grew into one of the most influential nations in human history, and their legacy began with one woman, Anastasia Romanova. In 1547, Ivan the Terrible, whose name preceded his reputation, was in search of a wife, and through a careful selection process, Anastasia was chosen from a noble family and sent to the Kremlin to marry Ivan. But her death by sudden illness sent the already unstable Tsar on the warpath. Accusing his enemies of poisoning his beloved, which historians now believe wasn't entirely a stretch, Ivan's reign of terror begot the time of troubles. This period of political upheaval, vengeful scheming, and killing among the nobility went on for the next half a century or so. A crisis of succession finally put one of Anastasia's descendants, Michael, on the throne as the first Romanov Tsar, and stabilized the Russian monarchy, minus a fun little coup d'etat here or there, until the 20th century. During that long stretch of history, the likes of Peter the Great, Anna Petrovna, and Catherine the Great saw Russia prosper, in part due to them embracing Enlightenment ideals and financing the arts and education. But by the start of the 1900s, the Russian crown was tarnished. The Russian nobility had withdrawn inside a virtual bubble, failing to grasp the rapidly changing world that lay beyond their palace walls. Industry had taken over Europe, and with it, working-class ideologies. So it's easy to see why the people were so mad at Nicholas II. The Romanovs had long surrounded themselves with finery and opulence, and among the family's priceless treasures were masterworks such as the Amber Room. But of all these valuables, the most extravagant were the family's collection of Fabergé eggs, to the extent that these artifacts are now synonymous with luxury. World War I proved deeply unpopular with the Russian citizenry. Morale was non-existent. This left the Russian people overworked, disenfranchised, and starved. Matters within the palace walls proved just as troublesome. The heir to the throne, Prince Alexei, was sickened with hemophilia due to generations of familial inbreeding. The Empress Alexandra fretted over the child to an overwhelming degree. She was deeply religious and largely ignorant of the world beyond the palace walls, and so she turned to a spiritual wise man, and possible immortal, named Grigory Rasputin. As Rasputin convinced the Tsarina that his gift of healing was all that sustained the prince's lifespan, he successfully had Alexandra by the ear, which by extension meant he also had the ear of the Tsar. The public hated this, the nobility even more, and though Rasputin was eventually assassinated, or was he? It became clear that the Mad Monk wasn't the only reason for the Romanovs' royal shortcomings. By 1917, the Russian people had endured enough failed leadership. At this point in history, the socialist messaging of Karl Marx had influenced revolutionaries such as Trotsky, Stalin, and Lenin. But it was the workers, largely women, who kicked off the people's revolt. One could compare it to a single spark in a bale of hay igniting the whole barn. The uprising caught fire as more and more people joined in, from across classes, all who had a bone to pick with the royal family. Following the pattern of the French aristocracy and, well, most of the world leadership in 2020, quite frankly, the Romanovs were completely blind to the struggles of their own people. Not only did they fail to understand why these 
ungrateful, unwashed masses were rising up against them, but they considered them little threat. Right until the very end, when all of the government's administrative buildings were seized, sacked, or burnt to the ground by the movement, the royal family was cornered in the Alexander Palace. Around Easter time of that year, Nicholas received an invoice for the recently completed Fabergé egg, and found it was not addressed to the Tsar of the Russians, but simply Mr. Romanov. Still, retaining a sense of decorum and means, Nicholas paid 12,500 rubles for an egg that would never reach its intended recipient. By the end of March of that year, the 300-year-old Romanov dynasty had fallen. The family was captured by the Bolshevik wing of the revolutionaries and moved from location to location throughout the next year and a half until they arrived at Yekaterinburg and were confined to the Ipatiev estate. The non-immediate members of the household were exiled and fled the country through various means, taking refuge in other parts of Europe and the United States of America. On July 17, 1918, the Romanov family was awoken at 2 a.m. and told that anti-Bolshevik forces were sighted on the outskirts of the city, likely putting the family in danger. They were all led to the basement. Waiting in the adjacent room was a firing squad. Revolutionary leader Yakov Yurovsky entered the basement chamber and read aloud the following order. Nikolai Alexandrovich, in view of the fact that your relatives are continuing their attack on Soviet Russia, the Ural Executive Committee has decided to execute you. The former Tsar's last words were shocked and confused. What? What did you say? Though other witnesses claim that what Nicholas II said was far more foreboding. You know not what you do. Nicholas II and Alexandra were killed by bullet fire and bayonet, as were their five children, Olga, Tatiana, Maria, Anastasia, and Alexei, as well as the family staff, Eugene Botkin, Anna Demidova, Alexei Trupp, and Ivan Karatinov. The bodies were briefly searched and disposed of in a nearby mine shaft. Ironically, the Romanov dynasty ended with the namesake of its founder, Anastasia. During October 1917, the year of the revolution, the royal family's collection of valuables had been seized by the state. Among them, the entire collection of Fabergé Easter eggs commissioned by Nicholas II and his father. As Russian history changed forever, and regimes, brutal policies, and the following decades of bitter Cold War soon took hold, several of those Easter eggs slipped through the cracks. Six, debatably seven, remain missing, and some have turned up in very unlikely places. The vanishing Fabergé eggs have inspired armchair investigators, celebrated jewelers, and Russian oligarchs to engage in, quite possibly, the most expensive Easter egg hunt of all time.
Before they were jewelers, the Fabergé family were fugitives. Fleeing the crackdown on French Protestants in the 1600s, the Fabergé descendants spread out across Europe, with Gustave Fabergé born in Estonia in 1814. He moved to St. Petersburg and was trained by the Tsar's own goldsmiths until he opened up his own fabrication studio, or house, in 1841. The Fabergé family played up their French ancestry, as French fashion and culture was in vogue and therefore marketable to the Russian aristocracy. In 1846, Peter Carl Fabergé, who went mostly by his middle name, Carl, was born. As a youth, Carl was privileged enough to tour Europe, where he took in the different artistic styles of other European cultures. This served him well, and he was recognized by the top goldsmiths as a rising talent. He returned to St. Petersburg at 26 years old and took over the family business along with his brother Agathon. By all accounts, they were quite successful. But their big break came during 1882's Pan-Russian Exhibition in Moscow. At this exhibition, Nicholas II's father, the Tsar Alexander III, came across one of Fabergé's displayed art pieces, a replica of a Scythian bangle from the classical age. The Tsar couldn't distinguish the piece from the genuine article, and was so taken with Fabergé that he appointed Karl as his royal jeweler. Easter is the most sacred holiday in the Russian Orthodox Church, and the tradition of dyeing Easter eggs goes way back to the early years of Christianity. Eggs were originally connected to the pagan goddess of springtime, Eoster, from where we derive the holiday's name. In time, Easter eggs were adapted as symbols of Christ, and usually dyed bright red, representing death and rebirth. As time went on, different European cultures would adapt the Easter egg in their own way, creating more elaborate decorative techniques. Often the eggs were hard-boiled and painted, later to be eaten. In some rare cases of preservation, the yolk was delicately removed, leaving behind the decorative shell. The Romanovs were strict followers of the Orthodox Church, so Easter was obviously a very important occasion. Alexander III had just avoided a failed terrorist attack, and his Danish wife, Maria Fyodorovna, had witnessed her father-in-law gruesomely killed a few years prior in 1881. The Tsar hoped to distract her with a memorable Easter present, and knew of a golden Easter egg among the Danish royal family's collection that had belonged to one of Maria's ancestors. The Grand Duke Vladimir Alexandrovich commissioned and oversaw this gift, which was crafted by Fabergé artisan Eric Collin. The result was what is known as the first hen egg, presented to the Tsarina in 1885. Unopened, it resembles a normal farm-fresh egg with a shell crafted from ivory. A nesting doll of sorts, it opens up to reveal a gilded interior with a spherical golden yolk, which in turn opens up to reveal a carved golden hen with ruby eyes. Finally, the hen opens up onto the egg's surprise, a diamond-encrusted replica of the Russian crown with a small detachable ruby pendant that can be worn as an accessory. The shell, yoke compartment, and hen are displayed today in the Fabergé Museum in St. Petersburg, but sadly, the crown and pendant surprise are now lost. The gift was a huge success with the Tsarina, and every year after, the Tsar commissioned a new Easter egg from the House of Fabergé. 
Fabergé's rules were that each egg had to be unique and open up to reveal an equally impressive surprise. And obviously, all these eggs had to be decked out in precious metal, jewels, and other adornments. Believe it or not, Carl Fabergé never actually handcrafted one of his workshop's famous eggs himself. Each one was usually a collaborative or solo effort from one of his many talented artisans. Over the years, the Romanovs could expect a new imperial egg around Easter time, except for the years 1904 to 1905, during Russia's war with Japan. After Alexander III's passing, his son Nicholas II took up the tradition, which continued until 1917, when the revolutionary seized the treasury and sent the Easter eggs to the Kremlin's armory palace. It is known that Fabergé created 52 imperial Easter eggs for the Romanov family, with one never delivered and one left unfinished. Six of the eggs are missing, and one's authenticity is contested. But some of the imperial eggs, thought to have been lost forever, have turned up again, and often in very unlikely places. Post-World War I, the new Soviet Union was starving. Joseph Stalin needed to boost the economy and so began to sell off many imperial artifacts as part of his Treasures to Tractors initiative. Fourteen imperial eggs were sold off to foreign buyers, most of them going to an American businessman named Armand Hammer. And that name might sound familiar to you. You may have most recently seen it on a box of Arm and Hammer baking soda. The bicarbonate company existed before the future petroleum tycoon was born, but he was eventually brought on to the board of directors, and mostly because, well, his name was literally the brand. Hearing anecdotes like these, it's almost hard to fault the likes of Stalin and Lenin for decrying the absurdities of capitalism. But in an even crazier twist of fate, Armand Hammer's father, Julius, was also the founder of the Communist Party of the United States of America so he had Lenin's confidence. The legend goes that Armand Hammer was actually named after the arm and hammer symbol of the socialist labor movement. As a young entrepreneur, Hammer's first business venture was creating and selling a ginger extract with legally acceptable levels of alcohol, which proved to be popular during Prohibition, a time when people were practically drinking fermented corn ethanol out of desperation. Of Russian ancestry and with family ties to the leaders of the Socialist Revolution, Armand went over to the Soviet Union on a trip and then ended up staying there for the next 10 years of his life, hobnobbing with communist figureheads. FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover absolutely hated him, and by rights so too should have Stalin, but Hammer had put himself in the unusual force field of being too capitalist to be burned by the American government, and too well-connected to socialism to be loathed by the Soviets. In addition to all of that, Hammer was an advocate of citizen diplomacy, a huge philanthropist, a guest star on The Cosby Show promising a cure for cancer, and a political talking head. He was also the great-grandfather of the Hollywood actor Army Hammer. I mean, at this point, we should just do the rest of the podcast on him, but let's get back to talking about some fancy eggs. A second bushel of the eggs went to Hammer's friend and associate Emanuel Snowman, a founder of Wartsky, a British boutique specializing in Russian jewelry. He inherited nine of the eggs. Wartsky and Hammer are the early key players in the saga surrounding the missing Fabergés, but the actual stories behind each of the missing imperial eggs are just as varied and unique as their designs. 
First, the hen with sapphire pendant, fabricated in 1886. This was the second egg created by the famous Russian jeweler, and its appearance is sadly unknown, as there were no photographs taken of it during its time. What little we know about it is based on ledgers and palace records. From these writings, the egg was described as a diamond-studded golden hen with diamond inlaid eyes taking a sapphire egg out of a bird's nest. Like the other Easter eggs, it opened up to reveal a surprise treasure. But what this could be remains a mystery, as it was never documented. Though it was catalogued by the Soviets after the fall of the empire, it's unclear whether or not it made its way to Mr. Hammer, Mr. Snowman, or ended up as a paperweight on the desk of some favored minister in Stalin's retinue. Next, we have the mysterious Cherub with Chariot from 1888. Like the sapphire hen, a clear picture of the cherub does not exist. However, there is photographic evidence of sorts. In 1902, a single photo was taken of a royal chamber during a public exhibition. In the foreground of that photo, several imperial eggs are on display inside a pyramid-shaped glass. Specialists have managed to zoom in on the image, and from a blurry reflection, what is believed to be the cherub with chariot is barely visible. Fabergé enthusiasts Anna and Vincent Palmade were able to recreate an illustration based off of this limited visual, which shows two cherubs holding up the egg chariot. An itemized invoice discovered in the Kremlin catalog indicates that the Easter egg surprise was a functioning clock encircled by an angel. Unlike the sapphire hen, whose trail went cold early on in its history, the cherub with chariot was once believed to have been in the possession of Armand Hammer, and likely auctioned off to an unknown buyer. During the Great Depression, Hammer had a tough time trying to sell the imperial treasures, which a friend once joked were now less valuable than real chicken eggs, since at least those could be cooked and eaten. In lieu of direct sales, Armin would often display the imperial eggs in high-end retail shops in New York City, to the delight of the public, but also just in case an enterprising individual with cash happened to come by. During one of those exhibitions, the Lord and Taylor store catalog specifically mentions a miniature silver armor holding wheelbarrow with Easter egg, made by Fabergé court jeweler but this is the last time the egg is ever recorded in the pages of history, and if someone did buy it, we know not who. A more functional imperial egg, the Nécessaire, was given to Maria Fedorovna in 1889. This egg, made from gold, was actually a lady's toiletry and grooming box. Its exterior was said to have been decorated with multicolored stones and brilliance, rubies, emeralds, and sapphires. The interior's 13 diamond-encrusted objects would have likely featured brushes, files, small scissors or clippers, and possibly a small bottle for perfume. There are records of Maria taking the box on trips across the country, so we know she used the necessaire as it was intended. After the revolution, the egg was sold to Wartsky's Jewelers in London, where it was put on display in 1949. For many years, its appearance was actually unknown, until an old photograph featuring the displayed egg in the background surfaced on the internet. It was identified by an amateur sleuth named Kelly Bond, who alerted the interested parties. 
Investigators from Wartsky searched their old records and found that the egg was sold on June 19, 1952, to an individual listed only as a stranger, adding an additional veneer of intrigue to this mystery. Try as they might, no information pertaining to this stranger's identity has ever been uncovered. The Mauve Egg of 1897 is an interesting case in that half of it actually still exists. The Surprise, a three-leaf clover-shaped picture frame, depicts miniaturized portraits of Tsar Nicholas II, Empress Alexandra, and Duchess Olga. It is still on display in the Kremlin, and it's speculated that this imperial egg actually went missing before the 1917 revolution, and may have been shipped away by Maria Fedorovna herself for unknown reasons. Where could she have sent it? Possibly a family member or confidant in one of Denmark's many palaces, or elsewhere in Russia. 1902's Empire Nephrite Egg is a point of contention amongst Fabergé egg scholars and enthusiasts. It was created in commemoration of Duchess Olga's upcoming marriage. The egg is carved out of a gorgeous green Siberian nephrite flanked by two golden eagle-topped pillars, and adorned with the imperial crown. Pressing a button at the sculpture's base triggers a spring mechanism, opening the egg and revealing a double portrait of Duchess Olga Alexandrovna and Prince Peter, the Duke of Oldenburg. For years, it was assumed missing, until it abruptly resurfaced in the 1990s. The identity of the person who rediscovered it is not public information, nor is any information surrounding its current owner. The reasons for this may be political in nature. Many works of Russian art suddenly appeared on market in the early 90s, likely as a result of the collapse of the Soviet Union. It's a bit ironic, considering the circumstances in which many of the Fabergés went missing in the first place. The Empire Nephrite was shown to the staff of Christie's Auction House in 1996, but it was difficult to verify that this work of art was the 1902 imperial egg, due to the fact that no photos of that egg had ever surfaced in the ensuing decades. It was without a doubt a Fabergé, but which one? After all, Fabergé had produced decorative eggs for other parties than the Romanovs. But the egg that materialized at Christie's was missing both the crown and the portrait, which were presumed lost. Based on the descriptions of the Empire Nephrite Egg in 1902, the egg was quickly reworked by the eventual buyer to include these missing elements, a move that proved controversial and, according to some Fabergé scholars, premature. To their credit, the buyer embarked on a four-year research expedition to try and authenticate it. One theory is that the records from the Kremlin misidentified the gentleman on the original portrait miniature as Tsar Alexander III, leading to the confusion. In 2013, an itemized list of treasures moved by Maria Fedorovna to Gachina Palace was brought to light after it was discovered in the collections of one of the Empress's ladies-in-waiting. The Empire Nephrite was included in this inventory, but whether or not this egg and the one that materialized in the 90s are one and the same is still hotly debated. The last two missing eggs are the Royal Danish or the Danish Jubilee from 1903 and the Alexander III commemorative from 1909. Both have been photographed, so we're fortunate enough that we mostly know what they looked like. The Danish egg was made out of gold and painted light blue, 
featuring a portrait of the Danish royalty. It was crowned by a miniature elephant. It's unknown why or how it went missing, but it was presented to the Empress Dowager while she was visiting family back home in Denmark. Some believe Maria Fedorovna never brought it back on her return to Russia at all, and may have left it behind in the country of her birth, after which its fate remains unknown. The Alexander III egg was made to commemorate the departed Tsar, who had died only 15 years prior. It was a platinum and gold egg with diamonds. Its surprise was a small bust of the late emperor made from gold placed on a lapis lazuli carved pedestal. This egg hasn't been seen since the revolution, and it's possible that it somehow vanished before that time. Though they aren't missing, there are two imperial eggs that were never properly delivered to the Tsar Nicholas or his family. The first is the Karelian birch egg, which had been considered lost until the year 2001, when it was sold to the Russian National Museum. The museum's director stated that its owner was a Londoner of Russian descent who preferred to remain anonymous. The Karelian egg is unique for many reasons. For one, its composition. The last few imperial eggs crafted by Fabergé were not made out of precious metals like their predecessors. Due to strict austerity measures put into place during World War I, they were often crafted out of less expensive materials, leading to some unique design work. Karelian birch is actually quite rare, as it only grows in a certain part of Russia, and produces a wood that's beautiful when polished. The surprise in this egg was a wind-up clockwork elephant that's sadly lost. This is the final egg Nicholas II ever paid for, and the invoice is clear about his status at the time, addressing him by his common, not royal, name. The final Fabergé egg, which was still being worked on when the revolution occurred, was never completed. But if it had, it would have easily been one of the most visually distinct imperial eggs. Known as the Constellation, it was intended to pay honor to Prince Alexei, the would-be heir to the Russian throne. Sketches exist of the intended final product, which was designed with an astrological influence. The unfinished constellation is made out of dark blue glass with a silver band. The base is an opaque rock crystal cloud holding the celestial egg aloft. Etched in the glass is the constellation Leo, Prince Alexei's zodiac sign. It was rediscovered in a mineralogical museum, separated into three components. There is a lot of information out there about what the six missing eggs looked like, but not a whole lot of credible theories on just what happened to them or where they may be, other than in the hands of private collectors. But the rediscovery of a Fabergé egg in 2012, an egg once thought lost forever, offers some curious insights on where some of these priceless treasures might be found. And it gets pretty weird. 1887's third imperial egg is one of the earliest Easter gifts from Fabergé to the Romanovs. Crafted from a pink-hued gold, it is decorated with a garland of sapphires and diamonds and opens up to reveal a functioning timepiece. It was photographed, alongside other imperial eggs, in the famous 1902 photo of Dowager Empress Maria's treasures. It fell off the face of the earth shortly after Stalin sold off a good majority of the Romanov collection to private buyers and millionaires. It is believed that the Kremlin appraisers, under Stalin's orders, did not identify the Third Imperial as one of the canonical Easter gifts, 
So for a while, the egg assigned to 1887 was thought to be the Blue Serpent Egg, which also contains a clock and matches many of the descriptions of the Third Imperial on paper. This puzzled historians, who assumed that 1887 Fabergé had gotten lost in the shuffle over the years. Then, in July of 2011, Fabergé researchers Vincent and Anna Palmade came across a picture of the Third Imperial while examining old archival photographs. The Third Imperial had been advertised in a 1964 auction house catalog without any indication that it was a Fabergé egg. It was sold on Madison Avenue to an unknown buyer. That auction house was eventually folded into Sotheby's, who, when notified of this discovery, took the lead in tracking down their lost egg. Joining the hunt was a representative from Wartsky Jewelers named Kieran McCarthy, who specialized in Fabergé's works. He presumed that the third imperial egg had to be somewhere in England, as many Brits with money had purchased a good majority of Fabergé-crafted works during the 60s and 70s. The Third Imperial was therefore probably hiding out in someone's attic, china cabinet, or maybe on the mantelpiece. Soon, the British press got hold of the story, the public was captivated, and the hunt was on. For three years, nothing came of this renewed interest. Then, one day, an exhausted American showed up at Mr. McCarthy's offices. The individual, whose identity remains private, told the jeweler that they hadn't slept in days since making the journey from the United States to the UK. The reason why was contained in a series of photographs shown to McCarthy, unquestionably depicting the third imperial egg. McCarthy was, as the British say, gobsmacked. He described it as a find on the level of an Indiana Jones movie. It turns out that this egg had traveled a long way from Russia to the United States, and it almost didn't make it to its final destination in one piece. After the egg was auctioned off, it ended up in, of all places, a curiosity shop in the American Midwest. Its lucky finder came from an average background and had a side income by buying gold and selling it for its scrap metal value. The American figured he could make a $500 windfall from what he assumed was just a golden clock in the shape of an egg. But after appraisals found that the perceived value was far too much than the selling point, nobody wanted to buy it off them. So it had sat on the buyer's countertop for, well, years. Annoyed that they'd ended up with a white elephant of sorts, the owner googled a description of the egg and the name engraved on the timepiece, Vacheron Constantin, who unbeknownst to them was the Swiss watchmaker who provided Fabergé with the clock. The article featuring Kieran McCarthy popped up in their search engine, and the scrap metal dealer soon realized that their fortunes had quickly changed for the better. Mr. McCarthy traveled to America himself to verify that this egg wasn't a clever forgery or hoax, because it seemed too good to be true. He walked into the owner's kitchen, and there, in a middle-class American home, was the third imperial egg sitting on a countertop right next to a batch of freshly made cupcakes. Likely on the verge of cardiac arrest, the owner etched Kieran's name and the date of his visit into the countertop bar stool. The Wartsky company then bought the piece for an undisclosed sum, though rumor has it that this Midwestern scrap dealer is now very rich. 
As of April 2020, six or seven Imperial eggs remain missing, with not a lot to go on concerning their whereabouts. In 2004, nine of the eggs were purchased by the Russian oligarch Viktor Vexelberg. He's part of Putin's inner circle, and a name that pops up quite a few times in the Robert Mueller report on the criminal activities of U.S. President Donald Trump. But that's a topic for a whole other podcast. Though by no means a man of morals, Vexelberg would most likely be the first person to announce the discovery of another imperial egg. There are a few possibilities most experts and theorists propose that the missing imperial eggs are in the hands of private collectors, along with a handful of other stolen artifacts covered on relic. Or that, like the third imperial, they are in the possession of individuals who just don't know what they own. Or, sadly, the eggs have been melted down for scrap metal or broken up and sold off as jewelry. The imperial eggs that remain behind lock and key have survived Russia's greatest rises and falls. In the span of less than 100 years, the Eastern nation has seen the collapse of one of history's oldest monarchies, brutal policies enacted by its successors, the fall of its communist stranglehold on most of Eastern Europe, and now a slow but sure ascendance to a fascist oligarchy. It doesn't seem fair that a country that has produced so much beautiful artwork, music, and dance has never really gotten a chance to breathe. Then again, you know what they say about throwing eggs or stones in glass houses. Contrary to popular belief, the Romanov bloodline was not wiped out. One claimant to the throne is Prince Andrew Androvich Romanov, who moved to America shortly after the collapse of the monarchy and by all accounts went on to lead a fairly modest lifestyle. His descendants reside in the U.S. today, and in all likelihood, they know as much about the location of the lost Fabergé eggs as you and I do. But the next time you pass an old antique shop, it may be worth taking a peek inside. You never know what you might find. Relic is written and narrated by me, Maxwell. If you like this episode and want to fill my Easter basket with good reviews, you can rate and review Relic in Apple Podcasts. We also have a Patreon that has exclusive episodes, collaborations with other podcasters, and Tales from the Reliquary, which looks at weirder lost treasures that can't fit a full episode. Connect with me on Twitter at Lost Treasure Pod and email me at LostTreasurePod at gmail.com. Next time, Relic reaches a milestone with its 50th episode. God, I'm tired. The adventure continues. <laughs> <laughs>